Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development, where we share original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We hope you join us often for practitioner-oriented content around all things related to leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Please subscribe, leave a review, comment, share, and consider supporting the podcast on Patreon, even at the producer and sponsorship levels. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Charlie McCoy Oyekwe about vision, mission, and purpose, and his nonprofit, The Grooming Alchemist. Charlie McCoy Oyekwe, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Pleasure to be here. It is a pleasure to be with you. You're joining us from New York. I'm here south of Salt Lake City in Utah. And today we're going to be talking about vision, mission, and purpose in leadership. And specifically as that relates to your nonprofit, The Grooming Alchemist, which I think is such a fun idea and really needed and important. And I'm I think it's incredible what you're doing. Um, so as we get started, I just wanted to share Charlie's bio with everybody. Charlie McCoy Oyekwe is an investor, serial entrepreneur, and men's grooming expert with over 20 years of barber and beauty industry experience. Charlie has a Babson education and is the founder and CEO of Artisan Luxury Brands, a CPG parent company and creative agency based in New York City and founder of The Grooming Alchemist, a nonprofit on a mission to improve the mental health, wellness, and grooming of at-risk youth and former high-control group members, aka cult survivors. I think that is incredible. I'm mm -hmm. super interested in where this is going to go with this conversation today and uh, excited to be with you. Anything else you would like to share by way of your background and personal context before we dive on it? Yeah, uh, you can follow me at, on Instagram at artisan, one word, 3000, uh, for all the updates after our, our conversation. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. And perhaps we can start. So I'm, I'm curious because, you know, at the very end of your bio, it talks about uh, wellness and, uh, you know, for those who are in formal, former high control groups, such as cult survivors. I would love, you know, we don't need to go into that in any depth because that's not the main focus of the topic for today, but I'm curious kind of what your experience at a high level has been there and in some of the things that you do to help individuals who might find themselves in that kind of a situation. Mm -hmm. So let me just take like 45 seconds and give your listeners a snapshot of my background and then I'll answer your question. So I'm about 38 years old. I grew up in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. I was raised by a parent who was a Jehovah's Witness. There you go. So I excelled in, um, in uh, athletics, basketball, football. She pulled me into the church. No sports, no holidays, no religion, no nothing. 
That's why I come with a high control group. I didn't know what it was at the time. So I um, leverage the relationship that my mother had with her religion. It's actually a nonprofit. It's called um, Watchtower. It's a multi-billion dollar nonprofit that has real estate all over the world and it publishes Bible literature. And so they only accept the most elite candidates to work at their headquarters and you have to be a Jehovah's Witness. So I kind of had to clean up my act in high school to get qualified. And I ended up there in my 20s. So my entire 20s, I was working for Watchtower in that control situation. And um, my, my, at the end of my 20s is when I kind of had an epiphany, turn of Saturn, midlife crisis, whatever you want to call it. And I decided that that wasn't the direction I wanted my life to go, being a Jehovah's Witness. But I was still living in New York. I had already been in New York for um, 10 years at that point. And so I, the last 10 years, I've spent outside of that high control group. And, and this is where um, it gets interesting because um, throughout that whole time growing up, I, be, I became a barber early on, around the age of 15, because my uncle and um, my mother was cutting my hair. My uncle decided to teach me how to do it. And so I, I, it was a kind of out of necessity. I got this skill set. I began using it at school with other, you know, athletes and, 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 and around the family. So I've been a barber, you know, by necessity since I was 15. So I had a barber shop, a barber studio right before I left Oklahoma City and I got a license. But then I, I still went to work for the Watchtower. And while I was there, I worked as a barber. I worked as a, in the shipping department and the, I worked in their corporation. And then I, I left and I got married to another Jehovah's Witness in my 20s. And um, I got a job at L'Oreal. I stopped, stopped working for um, the Watchtower full time and I started working for L'Oreal. So there's a little bit of a, a escape from the control to uh, an outside corporation where I got more freedom and more intellectual um, range to practice my art and my craft. And I began to do really well as a barber in Manhattan in, in my 30s. I'm, I know I'm, I'm trying to bring this story pretty clean in this, in this, five, minute, in this five minute jump, but just to kind of like um, hit the nail on the head, grew up a Jehovah's Witness, went to Bethel as a Jehovah's Witness, spent that time in my 20s, late 20s started to kind of like leave the witnesses to work secularly as a, as a more of an adult. And then I had a hard split with the witnesses about six or seven years ago. And when you split with them, there's a big issue within the group. It caused a, a, a kind of a, a chism. And so they labeled me an apostate and like a bad guy to my family and friends. And so I'm kind of a, a renegade to that group, but to the outside world, I'm like this maverick, this like entrepreneurial maverick. And, and that, that chip on my shoulder comes from that previous life. And so I immediately, when I was working for Kiehl's, after five years, so six years working for Watchtower, five years working for Kiehl's, L'Oreal, um, opening up barbershops. This, this barbershop, this grooming skill has been with me this entire time. It's, it, it, got, it got me accepted to Bethel. It got me a job at L'Oreal. 
And so I use it to open up my own barbershop because I had all these clients that had been with me that five years while I had been working with Kiehl's. And that, that empowerment, that, that community that I built of clients that followed me to this barbershop is what gave me the strength to open up a second barbershop. And then during the pandemic to even grow more with more training. And so at this stage of my career, uh, I've lived you know, several iterations of what I just told you. Um, at 38 years old, six years on the Upper East Side, six years in Brooklyn Heights, six years upstate New York, and then 18 years in Oklahoma City. I know what it's like to be an underserved youth because my mother raised me on less than $20,000. She was a librarian my entire life. So I was working at 12, cutting hair, working with my hands, being crafty, trying to figure things out. And, you know, that's why I find it so like, um, it's not even work. It's funny. It's like, um, you're lucky if you can find a job where you, where you feel like it's play, right? Because when, when I'm cutting hair, I've been, I've been doing it. I was doing it for free when I was 12. Now I'm making millions of dollars with these businesses, you know, overseeing this craft and having multiple employees working with multiple consumer bases. Now, yeah, like I'm taking the same vertical, right? Grooming. And I'm creating another um, organization that's going to make an impact. And so this, this latest endeavor came about because my barbershop in Manhattan got um, a partnership deal with Harry's, the grooming brand, the billion dollar conglomerate. And they wanted to do a series on mental health. And they informed me that they had a, a grant for nonprofits in, you know, in the millions to help with the biggest impact in mental health. And so at that point, I realized that you know, my years spent with the witnesses knowing that when you leave, you struggle with um, PSTD, depression, suicidal thoughts, so forth. There's tons of activist information about people who leave and what they go through. And I, I'm in that boat. So I was able to kind of heal myself through, you know, tons of different methods, spiritually um, and uh, therapeutically that I share in my, my latest book. I'm, I'm releasing a book called Shunned, Shunned into Success, that talks about my entire life and, and how I ended up in the space that I'm at. It's targeted at witnesses because, you know, that, that group has about 8 million active, active uh, members, but 2 million inactive or disfellowshipped and those two million are trapped in purgatory because they think that God's going to destroy the world and the world it, it has its problems you know that's a separate issue but the the doctrine has locked their their minds up and so there's a lot going on in that group that I wish to kind of help out with but um just kind of like straight line to revenue in terms of impact the New York City Department of Education you know a third of our population a third of the New York population is under 18, right? And half of those, that group is underserved, right? So that's 800,000 underserved youth in five boroughs of Manhattan. District 9, South Bronx, has the most glaring deficiencies because their test scores are beneath like the, 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 nation, the nationwide average. And it's a lot of black and brown in that community. One of my clients from my barbershop is a teacher at one of the schools so we started going into the schools to recreate barbershops. I was giving away product, clothing, mentorship, advice. 
just trying to like figure out how we can create a program. And in doing so, we, we've kind of created what, you know, we're, we're gonna talk about uh, the, the grooming alchemist where we go to the high school and we work with these kids and we give them these haircuts and their response is, oh, I don't have to be, you know, an NBA player, NBA, there's only 400 jobs, NFL, 2000 jobs, I can own a business. I can have a jazz club. I can have an art studio. I can be in advertising. I'm bringing on all these, you know, when, since I left the witnesses, all these people from my network that I've had to rebuild my life with, clients, friends, you know, that I've met in the last 10 years in New York, all these artists, these creatives, I've built this like, you know, this, this community and I'm tapping into it. And it's all kind of working out, right? You know, you seek first the kingdom and it all kind of works out. And, and so that's kind of what I've done. I've left one version yeah. of God's kingdom and created my own. And the way I feel is that this is more authentic, right? I'm, I'm regardless of how my previous, you know, um, uh, what contemporaries feel about the way I express myself physically, the tattoos and the hair, whatever, it's the fruitage. Right, you tell you can tell uh, a, a ripe or a good tree by its fruit, and so since I've left, I've gone on to do great things, and so that's my story, and I'm paying it back to anybody locked in a high control group, whether it be a, a witness or a Mormon or a, a Seven Day Adventist or a um, um, what are those uh, the ones who Scientology. Whatever it is, whatever it is, there is something in my book, in my story, right? My story of, uh, it's, the, it's, the, it's the hero's journey, right? From the alchemist. All these, you know, these ideas kind of are from the ether. They all kind of converge in, in what I got going on here. And so I'm happy to talk about social impact, yeah. my background, how it all kind of relates Check out my new book, The Future Leader, Creating and Transforming Next-Gen Organizations. Stemming from two decades of professional experience and over 600 in-depth interviews with executives, thought leaders, and scholars from across the globe, The Future Leader will help you explore the ordinary, everyday actions that will help you to prepare to lead in the future of work, to respond to an uncertain future, and to produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Academy. Courses, micro-credentials, and certificates to upskill and reskill for the future of work. All HCI Academy courses, micro-credentials, and certificates are designed, developed, and delivered by award-winning and internationally renowned scholars, educators, thought leaders, executives, and practitioners. Our courses, micro-credentials, and certificates will help you make your mark on the future of work and make an immediate impact in your organizations. Check out the HCI Academy and our many course offerings and certificates to upskill and reskill for the future of work. Mm -hmm. 
check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us. Yeah, well, thank you. That is super interesting and, and a really great context, all of your background. And it, it's a truly compelling origin story behind your career and your success and, and your nonprofit and high demand, high control religions, high demand, high control groups uh, are, are incredibly challenging. Like you said, it's, it's hard to be in, but it's even harder to be out. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and, it, and it really can blow up your world and your relationships and really everything you know about your identity. Um, everything, it, it can be so, so challenging. And so there really are very real mental health um, concerns when people leave a high demand or high control group, um, whether that's a religion, there's other types of high control groups too. It doesn't even have to be religious. Um, and regardless though, the, those concerns are there. And so the fact that you, through your origin story, uh, have learned how to pay it forward and now to help other at-risk individuals, uh, at-risk at youth, um, to, to focus on their, their mental health, focus on their potential and their economic opportunity as they lean into new, new um, ways of thinking about their future, you know, in terms of starting an, a business or, you know, things that maybe they never have had even conceived of before. I think that's, that's really tremendous. And so out of all of this, then comes the vision for your nonprofit, the grooming alchemist. And as you mentioned your book, um, uh, and, and so I think that's, uh, that's incredible. So now if you can t- walk us through a little bit more specifically about your nonprofit, the grooming alchemist, how you got that up and going, um, sure. who you're, who you're serving, how you're doing it. That'd be sure, really great. Sure. I think it's, let me just start off by saying this has been a education for me because I spent 12 years working in a nonprofit. Um, but I wasn't at the leadership level, Right. Now, at the stage of my career, founding, you know, small businesses and companies, I I knew that I had to form the nonprofit the right way the first time and get it done. So I hired a lawyer, a law group out of Florida, a Chisholm Law Firm, and they, they formed thousands of nonprofits. And I didn't just do that. I also hired two other consultants because I don't know what I don't know. And so sometimes... You'll, you'll have a group of people telling you things. And then at the 11th hour, you know, the fourth person says something that you haven't heard before. That's just that one thing that put it all over the top. And I've been in those, in those foxholes before in business. So I wanted to avail myself. So I took um, some of the earnings from my for-profit business and I invested knowing that in the future, it would pay itself back. So I hired the firm, I hired their consultants. I started it out with a nonprofit business plan and a pitch deck. And I let them know what the, that I wanted to serve um, people who had just left high, a high control group and underserved youth. I didn't know how, but these were the groups I wanted to serve. And so what you need to, to, to do when you do that is you need to form a corporation or foundation in your state. And then you need the federal government to recognize that and to give you um, the tax, um, um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? The tax exemption status. Exemption status. So a a 501c3, right? Right. So, and there are tons of different types of tax exemptions, but the 5013C is for a public charity so that when people donate for this, you know, for the haircuts and the products and for what we're doing for our work, I can give them a, a donation statement and they can owe Uncle Sam less. You know, it's all a system that I've come to understand and respect as opposed to, you know, you grow up as a witness and they tell you that the world lies in the power of the wicked one. Hey, listen, nothing's perfect. We get it. But, you know, the wicked one, I'm in the system now. Like, I get that, you know, the IRS, they're not trying to put you out of business. They're not trying to ruin you. They're just trying to keep themselves, they're trying to keep everything afloat. It costs a lot of money to run a country. No one knows. It's like, it's like, <laughs> it's, anyways, I don't want to get into politics. All I'm saying is that um, this paperwork, going through these, these steps and getting these designations is the most important thing because you want people to support your cause. And the, the purpose of the nonprofit is to, it should, it should attract a lot of money, right? And that money should flow to make people's lives different, right? And then you should be able to um, run a business and people should be able to have income too, but it all works um, respectfully if you respect what it is. And so as a, as a, as a grown-up, I'm looking at it for what it is. Now, the Jehovah's Witnesses are a nonprofit. And the, the government looks at them the way it looks at me. But I look at them like a high control group who, who's twisted the Bible. And so they've trapped my mother and other people's loved ones and they can't get out and they won't speak to us. You know, that's that's a gray area where I'm I'm tackling that with my media. So, right, we, we put out a lot of videos, videos from entrepreneurs, videos from artists. But in the future, my goal would be to have hundreds of former Jehovah's Witnesses come and share their story and for me to broadcast those videos out to the world so that any witnesses who are stuck in this, you know, there have been many cases of suicide by people who have left this cult, dozens of cases, hundreds of cases, and I felt that there's no way out for them but to take their own life because of the doctrine, right? And so I, I've had to unwrap that in my brain and I know how to do it, and many, many have had, but if they're not looking to do that, then that they're danger to themselves. So by me broadcasting that, you know, I'm helping out this sub-segment and, and maybe I can tailor to where it's not just Jehovah's Witnesses, may, maybe they're Mormons or other members of that group. But like, I, I wanna hyper focus because this group doesn't have any anywhere to go if they want. Like right now, if there's a witness watching this video who's like 11 and they're at home and their dad is like, hey, you either become an elder. And they're like, no, I want to do a startup and, and make the planet green. And they're like, now nah, you got to be a pioneer. And they're like, but th that this kid is stuck. Right? And so there's no, there's nothing that exists where they can call up and say, hey, uh, I can prove that I go to this congregation. I can prove that my family is a witness. And so I need some assistance. If I don't listen to them, I'll be homeless. I'm not looking to be a criminal or uh, to be mischievous. I'm just looking for a little bit of assistance, a little bit of education. And so there are scholarships that exist 
for all sorts of reasons, right? And but there is no scholarship that exists for witnesses who, who want to escape and as teenagers. You gotta understand that you know teenagers are young adults. And so I was in my in my gut, I knew it was a cult when I was 13, but I didn't want to be homeless. So another five years of living under my mom's roof of indoctrination, that's a long time, you know. That's, that's enough time for a kid to go through AAU and become a star athlete or to go through the system and, and become a prisoner for life. And so if there are kids in that window who need help, I don't have the means to even contact them yet because my foundation doesn't have the funding to even be as visible. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to do haircuts, get a little attention and do podcasts brick by brick. But like there are kids right now, like, like I was in the nineties, just stuck. It should be options. Like, if you want to be a witness, great. You should. It's a very wholesome way of living. But if you don't, okay, there is the grooming alchemist hotline. We can get you some assistance. We can figure out what's going on. You can apply for a scholarship, maybe even housing. Who knows, you know, what the needs will be. But it starts with me. Somebody has yeah. to do it. Yeah. I can, well, I can hire people and step away, but someone has to start it. Yeah, well, I, I think that's that's really great. And like you said, it, it is a challenge. And it's it's one thing for someone to choose uh, to, to be in a group, any group, uh, religious, uh, secular, whatever, whether it's high demand, low demand, whatever, if someone's making that choice in and of themselves mm-hmm. through informed consent. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happens a lot of times with children in particular is there's not really informed consent. You can't have informed consent and it's, it's indoctrination. And then they fit, find themselves trapped. And like you said, I, one of the hallmarks of a high demand religion is that they tend to make it um, really difficult to leave. And, and you have to blow up your life, right? To, to basically, to be able to walk away, you have to sever relationships with family and friends you have to completely start over. And so, like you said, people who may choose to leave uh, this particular religion, um, they may have to get help with housing. They may have to get help with work um, and, and all sorts of things that, that maybe we just take for granted, you know, on the day to day. And so that's, that's a really important thing to remember. And again, a, a great, uh, a great service that you're, you're providing. Um this has been a really fun conversation, Charlie. We've just scratched the surface. I'm sure there's a lot more we could talk about uh, with regard to high demand uh, and high control uh, groups, but also in terms of your nonprofit. But I think this has given us a good flavor for what you're trying to accomplish and, and the reasons behind why you're doing what you're doing. And I really appreciate you sharing your story with me and my listeners today. Before we wrap up, I just wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners again, how they can connect with you, uh, and then give us the final word on the topic for today. Yeah, so um, we have a GoFundMe. You can learn more at www.thegroomingalchemist.org. Read about the stats in New York, what's going on, boots on the ground with the children, and how you can support us. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Charlie. It's been a pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Charlie can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Bluer than indigo leadership, the journey of becoming a truly remarkable leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue. 
what some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There is no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of your problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free, interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. alchemy of truly remarkable leadership, ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations podcast? Please subscribe, leave a review, comment, share, and consider supporting the podcast on Patreon even at the producer and sponsorship levels. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.